guys. Welcome to the Dad Presents Podcast. Podcast? Podcast. The Dad Presents Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by sheathunderwear.com. It's the most comfortable underwear on the planet. Use code word dad for 20% off. Your lady will love them, fellas. The bride, she just cannot resist the dad's tushy-wushy when I'm wearing my sheaths. So get yourself a pair and get busy with your lady. Also, guys, please check out the dadanswers.com. It's a new website I've been working on the past couple months um, where I'm talking parenting all day. Um, none of this political junk like I bring you here. So please check it out, the dadanswers.com. Now, in about 10 minutes, we're going to have in Reed Coverdale for a little chit chat. For that, let's just get you caught up. Uh, it's been two weeks since a podcast because last week was my birthday week and I was getting busy and I turned. Uh, 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 years old. I'm just kidding. I turned 48 years old and I'm not embarrassed about it because I'm a friggin' 48 year old sex machine. I wake up that day and, you know, I, I expect to go out and get big hugs and kisses from my kids. And I do from the 11 year old. He's a big sweetie pie. The eight year old, he looks at me. His name's Kyrie. He's a little shit. He looks at me. He says, are you a geriatric now? He's just a real wise ass. And no, I'm not a geriatric. I'm feeling good. I'll tell you what, though, that kid, you know, it's, it's amazing how you can have two children made from your seed and the same woman who can be so completely different. Like I got one kid. He's just a sweetie, sweetie, sweetie pie. A little bit too sweet sometimes. You know what I mean? And then the other one who's just a dick. He's just, a tr I love him. I love him to death, but he's just a troublemaker. Um, you know, I, I or late earlier in the week, he made a mess or I made a mess and I needed his help. I was cleaning something up and I call him in the kitchen. I'm like, you know, I need your help. I need your help right now. I need you to help me clean this up right now. And he looks at me and he says, uh, why you're 48. Don't you know how yet? I mean, he's just a smart ass. I love him to death. He's going to be my best friend and I'm probably also going to murder him. Um, so I'm I'm flubbing up my speech a little bit here because I'm worked. I had a I got worked over at work today. Just a brutal day. I do have a day job. I got a business still that I run. I tripped over a friggin' skateboard today in my kitchen. And you know, these, these are the hazards of working from home. I know a lot of you started working from home during COVID. A lot of you continue to. Um I started working from home during COVID, and that's gonna continue hopefully forever. I mostly love it. Uh, but there's hazards. I, I, I tripped over a skateboard in the kitchen. I told my kids, it's like, you know, if I, if I trip over a skateboard one more time in this freaking kitchen or a surfboard, I've tripped over surfboards in the living room, art supplies, just a, our house is a disaster with two boys. And I swear we're going to be the cause of the next California wildfire. Cause I'm just going to throw it all in the backyard and torch it. I'm sick of it. The wife's sick of it. If you guys have boys, you know what I'm talking about. They just don't give a huh. But I love working from home. I do. I love that if I want to take a break, I just take it and I go out in the back deck and I crack open a beer maybe if I want to and I get some sun on my nipples. Uh, once in a while, I might jump in the jacuzzi because I'm at home. And if I'm in a conference call, I leave the bubbles off and nobody's going to know. The best part of working from home, though, is that my beautiful wife can walk in anytime she wants and just start telling me what she needs me to do. Today, today she walks in and I hold up my finger because I'm in a meeting. So I'm, I'm holding up a finger like, you know, chill, don't say anything. I'm in a meeting. So she stands there staring at me for seven minutes of the meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, she decides to tell me how I should have conducted the meeting. She didn't remember why she walked in. But she knew I didn't do my job correctly because she had been standing there listening. So she decided to give me advice on how to do my job, the job I've been doing for 15 years just fine without her help. But I appreciate that. Working from home is awesome. I actually woke up mad at my wife today because of a dream. You ever have one of those? You, As a man, you've all woken up and your wife is looking at you and she's furious with you and you don't know what the hell's going on because you just woke up and then she tells you i had a dream about you 
and then she'll hold that against you all day long. All day long, she's going to be mad at you. And she won't even tell you what happened in the dream like you're supposed to know because men, husbands, we're supposed to be mind readers. Don't know if you know that, but you're supposed to be able to read minds. At least that's what my wife thinks. So anyway, today, tables twisted, tables turned. Is tables twisted? Tables turned. I woke up mad at the wife because I had a dream about her. And I felt a little bit like a girl, but I punished her all day for it anyway. So there. Um, what's going on with COVID? I'm sure y'all know Fauci is now switching gears and stating that we need an investigation to look into the Wuhan lab as the origin, which just, it just kills me. Like, I try not to get mad at this stuff anymore, but the hypocrisy just eats my butthole. It really does. Because eight months ago, I got banned from Facebook for three days for stating exactly that, for sharing an article that it might've come from the lab and not just an article, but linking to a Tucker Carlson interview where he interviewed a virologist from China. I got banned. So now I can only assume that Fauci will be banned by Facebook for this dangerous right-wing racist rhetoric, right? Because fair is fair. And he says we need to investigate them now. He says we need to investigate. And it's only because it's only because it's become the evidence has become so preposterously overwhelming that it's clearly from this lab. I mean, the other theory is that some freaking bat a thousand miles away from Wuhan bit a pangolin, whatever the hell that is, and that pangolin made its way to a wet market where somebody ate it. Or it went, came from the lab down the street where they were studying coronavirus on bats. I don't know. Which is more likely? What do you think? Then you talk to actual scientists who know how diseases that they do gain of function studies on. Gain of function is when you try to make the disease more dangerous for the purpose of coming up with uh, vaccines before it becomes a reality in our world. Looking at the structure of COVID-19, they say it looks like it came from a lab. Then you have the fact now we just found out that three of the people working in the lab went to the hospital last November, uh, I'm sorry, a year ago, November, like right at the start of this thing, basically because of COVID. So yeah, he says now we got to investigate, but is he going to investigate? No, they're going to have the WHO investigate the World Health Organization. Let's have them do it again because last time they did such a bang up job with their investigation, didn't they? They did their investigation and came out of it singing the praises to China of how wonderful of a job China did managing COVID and, and that suggesting it came from the lab was ridiculous. So yeah, let's let them investigate again. I mean, they got to be awesome. I mean, you don't, get, you don't get a name like World Health Organization unless you're awesome. So I trust them completely. The, it just really, it eats my butt because I've been banned by Facebook in the past year three times. I'm just a dad, man. I'm just a dad. I'm just a dude. And I just, I, I, I'm not coming up with any new information. I'm not making the information. I'm sharing information that is readily available to everybody, right? I got banned for that one. I got banned in April of last year for a post about ventilators killing people. I also got banned for a post about lockdowns doing more harm than good, inciting a study in Sweden. I got banned for sharing an article about PCR testing. PCR testing is the test that they give you to see if you're COVID positive. And this article was suggesting that they had abnormally low thresholds for a positive test and that they may have been doing that purposefully to bump up the numbers for political reasons. Okay. Four times, four times banned that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, what did we find out? Ventilators did kill people. That's now the mainstream opinion. Okay. Fauci will tell you that. Uh, lockdowns, they haven't admitted lockdowns did more harm than good, but all the evidence shows that. And you won't get banned for that now. Um, the PCR testing. Well, now that the entire New York Yankees baseball team, all of whom are vaccinated and still got COVID, uh, they got COVID because that PCR testing threshold was too low. And now that's the official story from the CDC. So now the CDC is saying the same thing I got banned for. Okay. Seems cool. And then they're all just going to forget 
and pretend like, oh, all that other stuff never happened. We never, we never crucified half the nation and called them racists for their PCR testing posts. That never happened. And now we agree with them, but we're just going to pretend it never happened. Right? It's just, it's so frustrating because yelling and ranting and raving about it, it it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless because even when they're wrong, they never admit to being wrong. Now, what do they say? Well, the science is evolving. Fauci, Fauci was never wrong about masks when he said you shouldn't, you shouldn't wear a mask. And then when he said you should wear a mask. And then when he said you should wear two masks. And then when he said you uh, should wear a mask even after you're vaccinated. And then when he said, well, when you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask if you're with someone else who's vaccinated. No, he's not wrong. It's just the science keeps changing because these people are geniuses and they interpret the data at a level you cannot comprehend, you moron. I don't want to brag. I really don't. Don't want to brag. But let me ask you, can you name, those of you who've listened to this show for a year, who have followed on Facebook, honest to God, can you name a single thing Fauci got right before me? The answer is no, because it hasn't happened. And and that might sound, sound like a brag, but it's more of a indication of Fauci because I'm an idiot and he's supposed to be one of the world's top doctors. I should not be beating him to the truth and the facts. So either he's an idiot, which I don't believe he is, or he's cast aside all his medical training and all of his knowledge, and he's now a political actor with very bad intentions. Idiot or political actor with bad intentions. Those are the only two things it could be. Or I'm a super genius. I mean, I am in Mensa, so maybe, but I don't think that's it. What else is going on? We got Reed in three more minutes. What else? Um, Turned on Netflix last night to watch a little TV. I had to shut down my the Clipper basketball game because they suck. And becoming a Clipper fan is the worst life decision I've ever made. And that includes the two decisions I made that cost me my life savings twice. And that includes the first time I got engaged to a girl who went to the FBI witness protection. True story. Clipper fan, worst decision in those three. Just nothing but heartache. So I turned off the game. I go on Netflix. And what's on Netflix? Uh, they're advertising Black Lives Matter again. I thought I thought we were past that, but they're advertising it again. Okay, cool, whatever. Here's just the thing. I don't know how every Fortune 500 company in the nation, in Hollywood, and all of the media are on the side of Black Lives Matter, yet, yet the narrative of Black Lives Matter is that they're fighting the man. It's like, bro, you are the man. You're the man, bro. I mean, if J.P. Morgan Chase is hanging Black Lives Matter billboards, if J.P. Morgan Chase is fighting the man, well then, who's the man? Is it is it 300-pound Willard living in his mama's basement in West Virginia? It's just so ironic. I, I mean, I, look, let's get real. I've always said that J.P. Morgan Chase and Coca-Cola and Netflix and Nike and Google and MGM and Facebook and Twitter and government and Apple, I've always said they're, they're just modern day saints who exist to make the world a better, happier, more wonderful place, right? And I just think it's about time that these repressed, downtrodden Fortune 500 companies have united with the billion-dollar charities of BLM and the Rainbow Coalition to take on the repressive power structure of fat, middle-aged, homophobic, racist, straight white men who live in their mama's basement all over Appalachia. Those men of Appalachia have been repressing the rest of us for far too long, using their food stamps and their welfare to repress these Fortune 500 companies in Hollywood. It's about time we get together with the big banks like J.P. Morgan Chase and we fight these monsters. I mean, really, that's that, that sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud because it is ridiculous. But that's what's actually happening. That's what's happening. That's what they're talking about. That's what they're talking about. When they talk about the power structure that they need to take down, they're talking about straight middle-aged white guys 
who who have blue collar jobs in middle America. They don't mean they don't mean uh, the elite rich white people at J.P. Morgan Chase or Coca Cola. They're on the same team. When you break it down, it's absolutely bonkers. So what else? Um, I saw an article that the New York uh, Police Department has been banned from the gay pride parade in New York, which is hilarious. Uh, they because they did this as a punishment. They the New York the NYPD got banned from the gay pride parade as a punishment because they're mad at the cops. Do you really think those blue collar cops, you know, uh, yo Tony, Tony, Tony and Joey, do you think they're sad because they can't go to the gay pride parade? If you really want to punish the police, what what the mayor should have done is mandated that they all wear pink tutus and march in the parade. That might be a more appropriate punishment if you need to punish them, which I don't know what you need to punish them for, but you seem to think you need to punish them. So anyway, uh, I should tell you, I'm reading a book now called Jekyll Island. It's a fascinating book. My brother turned it on to me. Shout out, brother. Uh, about the origins of the Federal Reserve and how it's basically behind every single woe of this this country for the last hundred years. And those of you who love Ron Paul, like myself, you're well aware of these things, but this book breaks it down really well. I highly recommend it. The author is Edward Griffin, and I'm going to be reaching out to get him on, but um, more on that later. This episode is also brought to you by the Expat Money Show, hosted by Mikhail Thorpe. You might have heard him on our show a few weeks ago. Um, if you're a libertarian, and Mikhail is, and you don't like the way things are going in this country, or you're a little nervous about the federal government like we are, or you don't like paying your taxes, or you're just an adventurist and, and you're ready for a change, get on over to the expatmoneyshow.com and learn everything you need to know from Mikkel. He's also got a podcast. You can find it on all your, all your podcast apps, iTunes, Spotify, all of them. It's called the Expat Money Show. They drop a new episode every Wednesday. It's a fantastic show. Um, very entertaining. And I'm not shy about telling you guys that we have enlisted Mikkel's services. He's going to be helping us to possibly expatriate. We are seriously considering it. We're doing the research. He's helped us with every step of the, of the way. Um, but look, even if you're not interested in expatriating, even if you're here for the long run, it's a fascinating show to hear some great travel stories um, and, and just get a real sense for what else is going on in the rest of the world and hear from some other great libertarians who share our views. So check it out, theexpatmoneyshow.com. All right, let's get into our interview. All right, so with us today, we got Reed Coverdale, and he hosts The Naturalist Capitalist. You can see that right behind him, big, beautiful sign. Uh, Reed, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, 2020 was kind of the year, it seems like, that's kind of opened a, a door for libertarian movement kind of taking over. People just don't like the way government has taken away our freedoms. Um, this podcast, 18 months ago, per its name, it was just kind of like a, a fun comedy punk podcast for dad, and it's taken a turn towards libertarianism. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been having on as many libertarians as I could find recently because a lot of people like myself are fed up with the direction of the government, the lockdowns, all of that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your like libertarian origin story? Uh, yeah, it actually starts in 2014, probably is where, I, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I liked Ron Paul in my senior year in high school, but I wasn't really paying attention that much. And I didn't really internalize anything he was saying. Uh, but in 2014, I started listening to, uh, different podcasts. Uh, Carrie Wedler caught my attention and so did, uh, Rand Paul caught my attention by, uh, filibustering john brennan's nomination to cia director yeah um and after that i actually went back and watched videos of ron paul's campaign from 2012 
And I was like, man, why wasn't I 110% behind this guy? Why wasn't I paying attention? You know, but then it, it got me very interested. So in uh, 2015, 2016, I was a big Rand Paul supporter. I thought he was just going to be just like his dad. Um, and he wasn't, he just, yeah, not really. just kind of fell flat and uh, didn't go anywhere. And so then I found out about the Libertarian Party and there was no way I was voting for Trump or Hillary. So uh, I found out about Gary Johnson and I was like, okay, sure. He's got 12% in the polls. This seems kind of promising until he you know, made it on TV a lot. And we found out more and more about him and more about Bill Weld. And it was like, oh God. So I still voted for him. But after that, I was kind of done with the Libertarian Party. And I was kind of done with federal politics. I was just paying attention to local stuff. Um, and then in uh, 2020, the candidate it's rolling out. We're so bad. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Donald Trump again. And I was not impressed with his presidency. I thought um, anything that we were hoping for was not met at all. You know, any expectations we had that he'd be good in any way, they were they were just falling sure. flat. Um, and then Tulsi Gabbard showed up and, you know, definitely disagreed with her on a good number of issues, but she was just so much better than everyone else. So I decided to volunteer for a campaign in New Hampshire and she was there a lot. Um, and I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize like how biased the media was until I was part of that campaign. And I didn't realize like what a gang the democratic party was until I saw like how horrible they were to her. And then she oh didn't, my God. So, yeah. so, so unfair to her. I mean, when they, when Hillary <laughs> called her a Russian agent, I mean, she, you know, this is a woman who fought for our country. Right. And 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 they're going to labor her a, a, a traitor. I mean, that that's really all you need to know about the whole Democratic establishment, because when when Hillary said that CNN got behind that MSNBC got behind that, everybody got behind this idea that Tulsi, who who was in the military and seen like firsthand, like, you know, the bloodshed, I, I believe. Didn't she work in like a like uh she was a me- she worked in a medical tent in yeah, a uh, medical tent. So she, saw, so, she yeah. saw the 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 horror of war firsthand. I mean, she was in it, right? Yeah. And, and and then they label her uh, a a Russian asset. It just and and everybody just ran with that. It just shows you how the media it's just they're just it's state propaganda. I mean, that's the only conclusion you can can draw after seeing the way they treated Tulsi. Yeah, and, I mean, it just it red pilled me to, you know, how rigged the whole system is. And, um, I decided after she dropped out, you know, okay, I, maybe I need to look at this libertarian party thing again. And it was just another disappointment. You know, I didn't, I didn't dislike Joe Jorgensen. I know a lot of people really hated her. I didn't hate her. I voted for her. She wasn't exciting. And there were definitely some messaging flaws, I think, but you know, she was, on the issues, she was very good. Like you can't you can't deny that. Like she definitely said a few things that pissed people off, but like on the issues, she was a good libertarian, but she just wasn't inspiring. So uh after 2020, uh, I was just like, man, uh, we need to revive the libertarian party, <laughs> like it's the only shot. Um, so then that's just what I've been putting all my effort into for the last, you know, pretty much the last year uh since I, I joined the party last summer. And ever since then, I've just been trying to build it up, trying to get people to work together, trying to inspire people to get involved and join yeah, because I, I don't see any other way, to be honest. Right. Yeah, no, I, you've been you've been doing a really good job as far as like, uh, I feel like the, the part of the problem with the, the Liberty Movement is the Liberty Party itself is very divided. And I think it's very divided just because by nature, libertarians are kind of lone wolves. You know, what I mean, like they're anti-establishment, they're they're anti-joining groups. So it's kind of hard to get a group of libertarians together to agree on anything. And, and you, um, you've done a good job um, kind of bridging the gap between the, the left and the right half of the party. Um, because if we're going to, if libertarians are going to take on the Democrats or the Republicans, they definitely need to unite within their own party. Yeah. And I think you're right. I've been working on uniting the left and the right because um, there are losers on both sides who don't want to see success. They want to maintain their, I don't know, their dynasty in the Libertarian Party because they're, a, you know, a leader of this small little group that they've created and they want it to remain a small pawn so they can be a dominant force forever. I don't want that. I want to be irrelevant. I want the Libertarian Party 
in the libertarian movement to get so big that I'm not even noticeable anymore. And that's certainly not the case right now. It's very easy to become a prominent figure. Um, so yeah, I mean, anyone who is a libertarian who cares about liberty, as long as you want to work on the big picture issues and put the petty uh, BS aside, then I'm, I want to work with you. So, right. That, I mean, that, that's what we need if we're going to, if we're going to have any impact and, and you are right about how I think some in the party, they are kind of big fish in a small pond and they feel that the power slipping away. And, and, and one area we can really see that is um, Dave Smith has kind of come in as a, a big voice who's drawn a lot of people to the party and the party is just kind of trying to push away against that and the entire Mises caucus. And it seems like, the only reason to do that would be because they feel their their power slipping away, which is unfortunate because libertarianism is supposed to be the entire thing is that the, the idea of power resting in the hands of a few people is a bad idea. And, and we see that within the party where these people with a little bit of power are pushing back against the loss of that power. Little ironic. Uh, no, you're completely right. And, you know, I have a certain demographic that I resonate really well with. So that's who I try to message to, uh, you know, Justin Amash has a different group that he resonates with. So he should message them. Dave's is a little bit different than mine. Spike Cohen's is different than mine. That's right. good. You know, it's good that we're bringing people from all different areas, but a lot of people will see someone messaging to a group that they don't like, whether, you know, whether, I mean, sometimes I try to appeal to Bernie supporters, you know, I try to find that crossover and say, Hey, you know, check us out. Like we, we support some of the same stuff as you. Some people get really turned off by that. Like, how dare you talk to democratic socialists? And I'm like, I want to turn anyone into a libertarian. I don't care what their ideology is. If I, if I can bring them over and change their mind, that's great. And so it is funny seeing people angry that Dave talks to people on the right or that Spike Cohen will go to a Black Lives Matter rally and talk to protesters right. there and try to bring them over. And I'm like, hey, if you don't like who I am messaging to or who Dave or Spike or Justin Amash is messaging to, then insert your own messaging and message to the people that you want to. You know, so many people yeah. with like 36 followers on Twitter and like five subscribers on YouTube who are angry at other people for how <laughs> their message yeah, right you know? <laughs> no no absolutely yeah yeah and yeah going back to, to joe jorgensen i had I had joe on the show i i like joe a lot um yep. i also had spike on the show and and i found that and then i had spike on again after the campaign mm -hmm. and i got a little deaf different of a, a message from him after so i think during the campaign he kind of had to fall in line with what jorgensen wanted because she's the presidential candidate so right. that, that kind of um, makes me think maybe there's a little bit of a flaw in the way we do the libertarian elections. Like we elect the VP and the president and they get forced to work together rather than letting them be a ticket. And I don't even know if I have no idea how the libertarian party works as far as bylaws or how you would even change something like that. But that seems to me to be a problem because you get two people who aren't on the same message. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I kind of hope in 24 that we have two people who aren't exactly the same. You know, I, I kind of want, like, I, in my mind, like, if we had Dave Smith and Spike Cohen, that would be really cool because you've got two different people who can attract different groups. But if they can focus on a central message that they can both get behind and the majority of libertarians can get behind, that's great. Or if it's Justin Amash and somebody else, you know, wh whoever it is, I just want, um, you know, I, I, I want us to be able to agree on like, what is the libertarian message about? Like, why, why are we all here? Right. We don't need to all agree on the, you know, the, the minutia of our philosophy. We're going to have differences and especially outside of government policy. That's what drives me crazy is we should all have radically different ideas on um, you know, religion or sex work or, uh, you know, smoking pot when it comes to a personal choice, like what right. you want to be like, that should be radically different. And that shouldn't be what's driving us apart, though. I mean, what we should be united in is ending state power. Yes. So when it comes to all those other things, like, sure, we should talk. I talk about them. You know, I think they're important, but they're not 
they're not things that should divide us as libertarians. They're things that we should be able to get past. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, yeah, the central to me, the, the central thing of libertarianism is what you just said. It's to to take a, take power away from the state, put it back in our own hands. We should be able to make our own choices. And it seems like, you know, you talk about the pot thing or sex work or, or whatever. It seems like most people believe in freedom for themselves and they believe in freedom for other people. So long as what those other people are doing is what they agree with. You know what right. I mean? Like, because you're here that the right believes in, um, the right has been talking a lot about freedom in the last year, but that feels pretty new to me because I was, you know, I've been around for a while and it seems like a decade ago, it was the left talking about freedom, you know, right, right to gay Mary, uh, yeah. right to, you know, and marijuana. they got yeah, marijuana, all that. And now that we've had our, our rights sucked away in this past year, like freedom to assemble for, for religion and, and, and uh, freedom to just go see your neighbor. Now the right is talking about freedoms, but it seems like neither group talks about freedom when it's not convenient to what they believe in. And that's what libertarians are supposed to believe in. And they should be attracting people from the right and from the left coming at them from that same angle, but speaking to the things that they care about. You know what I mean? That, that's something that Spike Cohen did a good job is uh, he spoke, he's, he's, he meets people at where they're at. Right. And, and addresses libertarianism from where they're at, speaking to people on the right from the right, speaking to people on the left from the left. Um, you, you mentioned um, Rand Paul and, and he was a bit of a disappointment. I agree. But in the last year, he's kind of killed it. I mean, he's been kind of sticking it to Fauci. Every time you turn around, there's a new viral video. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really consider him libertarian anymore, but he's, he's kind of bringing me home on that one. Is, is that it, for the libertarian party to make a dent, they need a big national figure. And the biggest one we have right now is Justin Amash. And he's frankly just not that big. Could mm-hmm. Rand Paul lead this movement again, the way his dad did? I don't think he can. Um, I think that Rand Paul is a very good right winger. And I mean, he's, he's a good Republican. Um, he's not a libertarian. I mean, he's, he's just, he conceded so much ground to the Republican party over the last year. It was really over the last year. Like, he, I mean, he just, he kind of threw a lot of principles in the trash. I mean, his voting record has been pretty good and you're right. He's gone after Fauci really well. I, I mean, he's been the guy against Fauci, yeah. but, um, have you seen uh, Shane Hazel's interview with Rand Paul? That's a that's no. a good one to watch. It's very uh, it's very disheartening if you're a Rand Paul supporter from 2016, like I am. Um, I, I don't think he can do it. I think he's just given up too much to the Republicans, and the Republicans gave up everything. You know, like uh, yeah. when it comes to small government responsible oh, yeah. spending, constitutional uh, law. You know, they just threw it all in the trash. So I, I don't think he recover anymore. I mean, I, I think he should be our strong ally in the Republican Party, but I don't I don't think he can lead it. I don't think he can lead the the libertarian movement again. Yeah, you, I mean, you might be right. I just wonder how much of of all of that has been politics and and how much you know he he believes the same things as his father. You know, he seems like he plays politics more than his dad did. His dad was uncompromising. Rand is definitely compromised a lot of what he believes if he truly is a libertarian Um, yeah did you see his post about the police a couple weeks ago like he was saying that the democrats want to defund the police i will always stand with funding the police that was one tweet he made just like come on dude another thing he did is you know he voted for lloyd austin for defense secretary yeah Um, he obviously under trump he voted for uh mike pompeo and he also voted for jeff sessions and he supported trump both times this last time he supported him really heavily he did yeah. And I don't know, like, I just think he ceded too much ground to right. really be and, a leader. Yeah, I agree. And and there's there's one area that uh, the Libertarian Party should really be able to attract conservatives. You mentioned it, how the right has given up on small government. I mean, completely. I mean, Trump spent more than any president in history until this one who's going to blow him away. But we've given they have given up on small government completely out the window. And I think most conservatives truly do believe in small government and libertarians we should be right there with them on that and we should be able to pull people into this party um by pointing out 
how much they really did just throw that out the window. I mean, it's gone forever. We're, we're the, I, I like to tell people this, is, this went from being the smallest government that ever existed to the biggest in history. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's, they, they, ha- they gave that up at some point and they, they're not going back to it. Yeah. You know, economics is boring uh, in general. And so people don't care about it. You know, they care more about social issues or, you know, whatever the hot topic is. We need to get people interested in economics. Uh, someone that I really like is Peter Schiff. He makes economics interesting. He makes interest rates interesting to talk about. <laughs> you know, like you just got to gotta know how to do it. Uh, the Clint from Liberty Lockdown, he's really great on making economics interesting. I talk a lot about it. I haven't lately. I've mostly been talking about other stuff that's going on right now. But last year, that's actually mostly what I was talking about on my show. Yeah. Um, we just got to get people to care about it again, because that is a very fundamental part of freedom, economic freedom. You know, once you don't have economic freedom, you really don't have freedom anymore. And it's a boring topic for most people, but we got to make it interesting and get people thinking about it again. Yeah. That makes me think of a few things. Um, number, yeah, I've, I grew up thinking money was not important. I grew up in a very religious community where, you know, you don't want to have false idols and all that, but it's, Money is important and it it's important because it's a pathway to freedom, right? Like if you don't have enough money, you're always going to be somebody's wage slave. Um, so it's, it's very important. Money equals freedom. Um, I, I I'm reading a book now and, and you say people, I, I posted this last week about that exact sentiment about how, when I start talking about banking and the federal reserve, like I do it on the podcast a lot, but when I, and I do it with my friends and when I do it with my friends, I can just see their eyes just kind of glaze over and zone out. Like it bores people. So I try not to talk about it too much on the show. Cause I know people are, they probably tune out when I talk about that. Cause my friends tune out when I talk to them about that. Um, I find it super fascinating. So I can't, relate to them in that way. I'm reading a book now called Jekyll Island. Um, have, have you come across this book yet? I know what it's about. I haven't read it yet. So. Yeah. I mean, it just really breaks down the whole origin of the Federal Reserve and just how truly criminal our whole system is in a way that is pretty easy to understand. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that if people really did understand that one thing, the Federal Reserve and how they've based, you know, the bankers have basically co-opted our government and our money. I think you can get people interested in it and you're doing a good job of that on your show. Um, what do you think? Cause you mentioned Peter Schiff and I listened to his show too. I like Peter, um, but he hates the Bitcoin, right? How do you feel about Bitcoin? Man, um, I'm not quite where he is, but I'm also not a religious Bitcoin worshiper either. <laughs> I'm kind of in between. Like, I, I don't really know what to think, to be honest. Um, because I, under, I, I get that you can't just print it off endlessly and it is, you know, subject to market powers instead of government powers. So that's right. all great. But at the same time, it has absolutely zero physical value or even existence. Like it doesn't even really exist. So that seems problematic to a point. Um, I own gold and silver. I don't own Bitcoin. Um, I'm probably going to buy some on this big dip, but um, that I have a lot. I don't have much to risk. You know, I have a ton of cash. So uh, for me, it's just going to be kind of a, a risk investment, but I don't really want to make predictions about what's going to happen with it because I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, nobody knows. I mean, let's be honest, but I, I've been involved with Bitcoin since probably 2014. I got in pretty early just because I love the idea of it. Like if you, if you hate the fact that the, the federal reserve controls our finances, to me, it feels like a, a pathway to freedom, right? It's decentralized and it, and it seems like government's starting to catch on to that and they're going to try to kill it, I think, which does, you know, put the, put its value into question. But yeah, um, yeah that I, I think, I think Bitcoin is something that libertarians sh- should be embracing. Um, if we want to get away from the Federal Reserve and the control of our money. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not against it. I'm just sort of neutral on it. I don't really, <laughs> I haven't really taken a side on it. I don't know. Because I, I do listen to Peter Schiff a lot. And I think he's right about a lot. 
But he I was also, right in 2008. That's for, that's for sure. He was about the only guy yeah. who was right at that time, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but he's a bit of a boomer at the same time. You know, he's uh, he's still living in the old days. So I don't know. I, I think he could be kind of short sighted on it. So I don't know. I, I I don't discourage or encourage people to buy it. I just, hey, if you want to buy it, go for it. If you don't, don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Right. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. So right. Well, you also got to understand Peter Schiff's like any other guy, right? He has a he has a company that sells gold and silver so yeah exactly you know, that's you're going to be a little bit that won't affect it at all come on <laughs> yeah um so we had another shooting in california today right just a few hours yeah. ago i don't know any details i just heard i don't that. either i don't either but um i know i know we had one i just saw it on twitter and i thought i'd ask you about it because i know you you, you put up a video yesterday uh that i thought was freaking hilarious uh you have a video of you shooting some I don't know. I'm not a gun enthusiast. I'm a hunter, but I don't know anything about guns. I don't know what gun you were shooting, but it looked like an old Winchester or something. And then you fired it off and it's basically a machine gun. Um, people who want to confiscate our guns and talk about um, automatic weapons or assault weapons is what they say. These people know less than I do. And I know next to nothing. <laughs> um do any do any of the politicians, in your opinion, who are going after this, do they know what they're talking about and they're just nefarious, bad actors or are they just clueless? Both. I mean, some of them know that was actually what pissed me off about Tulsi Gabbard is she knows the difference between an M4 and an AR-15. And she also is she pro uh, restrictions? She was not as bad as everybody else, but she still was bad. <laughs> she, I mean, she was for like an assault weapons ban and uh, universal background mm -hmm. checks, 10 round magazines, you know, all that stuff. Gotcha. Um, she wasn't for like red flag laws or any confiscations or mandatory buybacks or anything, but she was she's still bad. Uh, but yeah, most of them just have no idea at all. <laughs> and uh, that, that was what that whole video um is exemplifying because that's an m1 garand it's a world war ii rifle it's semi-automatic but all i'm doing is bump firing it and you don't need a bump stock all you got to do is hold your trigger finger steady and then you just push the gun forward with your left hand and then you just keep the pressure forward keeping your finger steady and it'll the recoil will just oh, so you rattle even, off all around you did not even modify that gun nope it's semi-automatic so my whole point was tell, okay tell, tell the people your twitter 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 handle I want yeah, them to at, check that out at Reed Coverdale. It's right at the, it's my pinned tweet. It's got like 75,000 views and I put it's, it up. Like it's a pretty ago. awesome video and it's, it's very timely considering what happened today. Yeah. I actually to start with all the same crap. We get it every time. I recorded that in 2019 uh, and it's got over a million views on YouTube. I've oh, got it on a couple different channels, but it's all over the internet. Like you'll see that everywhere. People have downloaded it to gun pages or whatever, but yeah, the whole point of that is, that, that gun's not an assault weapon. It doesn't fall under the, um, you know, the, the guidelines of what an assault weapon is. So that would still be completely legal. It doesn't hold 10 rounds, only it's eight rounds, but it'd still be completely legal if we had an assault weapons ban. So the whole point is like, you keep adding restrictions. People are just going to work around them. It's just dumb. <laughs> like, I mean, you, you said yeah. it doesn't meet the qualifications of what they consider an assault weapon what are the actual call qualifications because i don't know so an assault weapon has a pistol grip uh or a, an extendable stock or a barrel shroud or what else uh four grip um it, it's all it's all aesthetic it has nothing to do with functionality that's the funny thing is there's the mini 14 um you can own one of those that has a wooden stock and it's not an assault weapon, but suddenly you just change the aesthetics of it. It has an extendable stock. It's got a barrel shroud and a pistol grip. Now it's an assault weapon. It's the exact same rifle, same exact action, same round, same barrel, same velocity, same function, same everything, but it's no longer an assault weapon. So it's just, it's dumb. It's just, it's dumb. just whittling away at what they can take away because they're not going to stop there. You know, after they know. take assault weapons away, there's going to be another shooting. And then they're going to say, okay, now we got to take all, all semi-automatics away. And yeah. then someone will do a shooting with a bolt action. They'll be like, okay, we need to take all, you know, <laughs> it'll just keep going and going yeah. and going. Never and end. you know, it's like anything else. Like all you have to do is actually look at the, the, the statistics and the facts and you see that gun-free zones are actually the most dangerous places for these kind of crimes, right? Mm -hmm. They, they just, they don't ever like look logically 
at the problem. It's always an emotional reaction to there was a shooting. This is bad. We don't want this. Take away the guns. The fact, though, that you say you think that a lot of them or most of them just don't know, at least there's hope there. If it's just that they don't know, they can be educated. Um, I, I truly was on the other side of the gun debate probably seven, eight years ago. I just didn't know. Right now I know, but if, if they have nefarious intentions, that's, that's what you got to worry about. And I tend to believe that most uh, political actors typically have nefarious intentions. That's, you know, I'm a libertarian. Yeah, um, I don't think they're smart enough to always be nefarious though. I think sometimes they are just dumb. <laughs> so Yeah. 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 True. Um, so something I saw you tweeted yesterday, so I want to shift gears a little, little bit. I, uh, I would call myself a, a minarchist, all right? Mm -hmm. And you said yesterday, you asked the question, who else went from minarchist to anarchist in the last year, mm -hmm. indicating that you have? And right. I know a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's something sexy about the idea of anarchy. But I'm not there yet because I look at nations where there's failed states like Libya, and I can't help but think that might be what anarchy might look like. Mm -hmm. um, why am I wrong? Well, I'll just say, first of all, anarchy was not sexy to me. I actually resisted becoming an anarchist because to me, it sounded insane and crazy. I never wanted to get there. And then I just ended up there. You know, those are the truest convictions, the ones you arrive at against your will, because only your logic bringing you there. It's nothing else. Because if you if you want to get somewhere, then maybe your logic isn't the only thing pushing you there. Maybe you're trying to lie to yourself or whatever. But uh, to me, it comes down to this, like we, you don't trust the government with like welfare or regulations or gun control or like all the menial tasks. Right. 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 But you do trust them to run the military and the police or whatever it is, you know, so you start realizing, whoa, that doesn't make any sense. You know, why right. would I why would I trust them to run the biggest, most complicated, most abusive, most destructive things? Right but I'm scared to let them run my health care. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's also, uh, you know how the Republicans are with a minimum wage. They're like, Oh, we don't want 15 an hour, but eight an hour is fine. Sure. And it's like, okay, what's the Why difference? Between, yeah, exactly. So it's the same thing with government. Like once you, once you admit that theft and violence is okay, if a government is going to do it, then when can you really morally say that you're against it? Like, I mean, they're, they're, you you seed the you seed the ideological argument. You know what I mean? Like you can't really strongly stand against it anymore. And I always knew that. Like I get that. I get that from a philosophical standpoint. Mm -hmm. But the question is, if there's no government, mm -hmm. what prevents society from falling into chaos? Like a, a place like Libya. And now I know that Libya didn't. That didn't happen naturally. We we destroyed that nation. Um, but if there's nobody keeping order. How, how does it not just complete chaos? Well, so you still have order. You just don't have a giant state. You don't have an apparatus that's taking everybody's money and distributing it to all these different, all these different programs, all these different departments, whatever. So you have direct payment. I mean, things still need to get paid for to get built. So like the, the big question is always the roads. How do we build the roads? Well, the government is just a middleman to building the roads. The government doesn't build the roads. They hire yeah. companies to build sure. the roads. Not worried about the roads. Amazon can yeah. pay for all of them at this point. Yeah. But so, I mean, just like imagine that with anything, the police, like why do we need the government to run the police? Why can't we have a free market system where you have different police? I get that, that you too. Can hire, you know, like, um, I, and then I get that too. I get that too. So, but the one that I don't get is there's obviously a lot of bad actors all over the world who would love to come in here and take over America. And I, I'm a, I, I want to break down the military. I'm very much against the military, but I also recognize that we need to defend ourselves somewhat from foreign threats. So with no government, where does that come from? So who would actually want to invade us? China, possibly. I you really think they would though try to invade us? I mean, aren't they, aren't they trying to take over Taiwan right now? I mean, you why know, would they Taiwan's stop? a bit different than the United States. You know, sure. I mean, the United right. States is such a, a map. I mean, we can't even take over Afghanistan. Look at how long we've been there or Vietnam. Like we had the biggest military ever. 
it's so it's such an untenable right task. but but we tried and if afghanistan had a big strong military i don't think we would have tried that if afghanistan had some nukes i don't think we would have tried that right uh china might try some i just threw out china somebody might try if if they see us as being vulnerable that's that's my concern so you still have you know a very armed populace and you'd still have You'd still have militaries. You just don't have the giant federally run military that has, you know, federal tax dollars that it can just take at whatever amount it wants. Like, I mean, and the states would probably still collaborate to protect, you know, the borders. Like the, the idea that if you don't have a state taking everybody's money and distributing it all across the country, that we wouldn't be able to collaborate and we wouldn't be able to work together against some threat that exists. I don't think that's true. Like why, you know, we don't need that with economic systems, with trade. Like we're not afraid that if the government goes away, we wouldn't be able to trade with California and Texas and, you know, all that would still happen. So why wouldn't it happen militarily too? Like we have a common uh, desire to stay safe. So right. I, I don't think it's something that would evaporate. So and you go think away. there would be like private military, like Blackwater, or maybe like the the state national guards would work together? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I think there'd be something more like a national guard for each state, and that they would work together. I mean, I mean, honestly, like none of this is going to happen anyway. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get to an yeah. anarchist society. No, yeah. Uh, so I think it's it is kind of a pointless debate to get into between minarchy and anarchy. Um, I think Phil. No, you're right. You're right. And that's exactly what I started the podcast with is we, you need to, the party needs to focus on the things we all have in common. But I, I saw your, your tweet and I found that interesting because I've seen a lot of that this year and I, I just, I can't make that leap, but you're right. Yeah. It's not something well, we should be focusing on because it's not realistic. Yeah. Well, it's not, I mean, even minarchy isn't realistic, you no. know, like even decreasing the state at all isn't realistic, you know, not like right it, now not it's right going to grow yeah. and it's going to, so um, I just think, uh, I mean, that's a completely philosophical thing. There's no way we're going to get to a minarchist or anarchist, uh, you know, time in, in while I'm alive, at least. So um, to me, it's really just a philosophical argument that government is illegitimate. The idea, I've just been reading a lot of Rothbard and it all, it all philosophically makes sense. So whatever the smallest we can get the government to should be the goal we should all have. And even if you want a bigger government than me, it's going to be so much smaller than what we have now. So it doesn't really matter if we're on the same team. hundred percent, hundred percent. So let me ask you this. You, you got a podcast. I got a podcast. There's been, there's been no shortage of libertarian podcasts cropping up in the past year and succeeding. A lot of them succeeding. Um, The, the Democrats, and the Republicans, they have all the media, all the mainstream media. They have all the power because they have all the institutions and all the media. Podcast is really about all libertarians have at this point, and it's growing and it's growing the, the libertarian nation. Do you think there's going to be an attempt to shut this format down? Are you expecting that? And how how are you preparing for it, if so? Yeah, um, I need to move off of just YouTube you know, I, uh, my friend Ryan Dawson, he uses PeerTube, and then I've got other friends who use uh, Odyssey and BitChute. You know, they, they just go to places where you don't get throttled for speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. So um, when I finally have a weekend off, which should be this coming weekend, um, I'm going to actually work on setting up an alternative platform because I think I've been small enough that I've been flying under the radar previously, but I'm starting to really take off and get a lot yeah, of, I don't, I don't think you're as much under the radar as you think right now. Not anymore, man. <laughs> so I've got to, I gotta be, I mean, I just hit 12,000 followers on Twitter and um, and about to have 5,000 on YouTube. So um, yeah, I've got to start being more careful. So I will be backing things up in other places, but I hope to stay on YouTube as long as I can, because that's where you get the normies, you know, like you can have a, a peer tube account, but no one even knows what peer tube is. It's hard enough that's getting, you- I've heard of it. Yeah, it's hard enough getting YouTube subscribers. So, you know, yeah. I want to kind of stay there as long as I can. But I, I assume you have a uh, a job. You work, right? Yep. Yeah, me as well. Um, so if you're not doing this full time all the time and until, you know, I, I have paid uh, ads, but it's not enough to feed a family on. It's it's really hard to do 
all the outlets. I haven't even started with YouTube yet. And we've been doing this for two years. It's, it's just audio. And I put up a clip here and there. Um, but you know, we get good numbers and we're growing too, just because this message resonates with people. Um, the numbers have really blown my mind. Um, so let me ask, um, you talk about what the party needs to do. If you hypothetically got in to government, you're in the Senate, you're president, you're whatever. What is the first thing libertarians should do to dial back the power of the state? Like what's the first course of action that we should all be pushing for in your opinion? Well, it depends on what position I have, <laughs> you know, like if I can snap my fingers and make something happen, uh, that's one thing. But I think what libertarians should be focusing on is removing uh, consent from the federal government at the state level. So sponsoring uh, defend the guard legislation so that the military can't just send the National Guard troops wherever they want to without declaring war. Um, I think we should be trying to become income tax havens, you know, like we should become income tax sanctuary states, basically, I think, you know, being sanctuary states or Second Amendment sanctuary states, all those types of things are the best way we can suck the federal government dry. I don't think it's going to come from a top down. Hold on. Do you mean, so there's states like Florida, I actually just bought a house in Florida, we might move there, where Mm -hmm. you don't pay state taxes. Are you suggesting there should be safe havens from federal taxes? I think that's what the states should start trying to do. (laughs) Wow. That would, I mean, that would be huge. Can, uh, do you think that's realistic? Uh, if enough states do it, I mean, I feel like if one does it, they'll probably just send the army in there or something. But, um, you know, if a bunch of the red states, I, I do think the red states are more likely to do it at this point. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, whether they secede or they just say we're not allowing, um, you know, any IRS agents in this state and we're not going to pay income tax anymore, like whatever they do, <laughs> you know, that would be the biggest stub to toe you could give the federal government you know i, I mean because i just oh, don't yeah. see the, i don't see the beast coming down from the top i don't i don't see someone getting in there and hacking it apart from the top they'll just if you try to do that they'll get rid of you i mean trump barely did anything right like he was such a loser but he had some anti-establishment rhetoric rhetoric yep. he didn't buy into the empire you know like he didn't he didn't believe in it you know he didn't fight it much but he definitely obviously didn't really think America should be running the Middle East and they hated him for that. So they wanted him out of there right away. Yeah. Uh, so imagine if Ron Paul or, you know, Justin Amash or whoever got in there and actually tried to make some big changes, they would, they'd impeach them on oh, something. Yeah. And yeah. if they couldn't impeach them, they'd give them a car ride through Dallas. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's just, <laughs> yeah, you, you brought up the Middle East. Uh, we're, we're running low on time, but I want to ask you a couple more things. So you've been pretty outspoken against Israel in the recent conflict. Um, I honestly, I'm not sure what side of this conflict I'm on. It seems pretty complex to me. So since you do have a strong opinion on it, can you make your best pro-Palestine argument to my audience? So honestly, we shouldn't be involved at all, right? Like we shouldn't be giving aid to any foreign countries, I don't think. Mm -hmm. But that's ignoring like a long history of just supporting Israel uh, in whatever they do, never looking, I mean, always looking the other way, just always sending them funding. Um, politicians in Washington, if they want to succeed, they sort of have to back Israel. And some of them are allowed to oppose it in rhetoric, but then you'll see they always vote to fund it. Um, we give up to, we usually give around like $4 billion in aid to Israel every year. And we do give aid to Palestine too, but the only reason we give it to Palestine is because we actually want to prop up Hamas because just like we need Al Qaeda to have a boogeyman to fight in the Middle East, Israel needs Hamas to justify what they're doing to the Palestinians all the time. So okay. if Hamas went away, then they would look like assholes for constantly, you know, pushing Palestinians off their land and caging them, basically like putting all these partitions and fences in their yards and, you know, shooting people who are several hundred yards from the fence and, uh, you know, airstriking hotels or whatever, because they say they're Hamas operatives inside when they have no proof for it. So, um, yeah, it's not so much that I really want to see Palestine become a state or something. It's that Israel has basically been committing genocide against the Palestinians. And it's an, an effort that we have been heavily supporting. Um, 
in Democrats and Republicans, like there's this idea that the Democrats are somehow anti-Israel. You look at Joe Biden, he's been extremely pro-Israel. Trump was extremely pro-Israel. So was Obama. Yeah. Oh, they, they, they all have been all yeah. of them. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I think ethnic cleansing and imperialism is bad, whether or not you believe you're God's chosen people. And I don't <laughs> think our government should be supporting it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the way you frame the story, I would agree with that a hundred percent. But what what about the idea that they're the only non-Muslim country in the area and they're under attack at all sides? Do you just not believe that's true? Do you think that's propaganda? Well, what if uh, you know they took a bunch of people from China and they put them in Iowa and pushed everyone out of Iowa? And then the Chinese kept expanding their territory and, you know, pushing out anyone who wasn't Asian and um, committing war crimes, violating um, all sorts of treaties and everything. You know, they just like kept doing it and doing it. I see. Um, They're not you don't feel they're just defending their turf. They're encroaching on other people's turf. That's that's the problem. They're the aggressor. Yeah. Well, first of all, they were put there. I mean, if you start history in 1948, it's one thing. But before 1948, there were people living there. And what is it? 750,000 people were pushed out, I think, is the number in 1948. So automatically, you're already going to have people who are really upset. But then you just continue to fund that country and never uh, always look the other way when they break the laws and they just continue pushing people out. And, uh, you know, the the non-Jewish uh Israelites who are in or not Israelites, the Israel, the non-Jewish Israelis who live in Israel, they're treated like second class citizens. So it's not it's not like this great thriving democracy that's just trying to defend itself from Muslim invaders. I mean, they they were put there in 1948 and they're they're mostly white Europeans. You know, I mean, they weren't (laughs) I mean, there's biblical. you can go back to biblical times when they claim that they own that land. But this started in the forties. A lot of the people who were living there were alive when they moved there. Um, to me, it's a lot more like the, and I'm using Scott Horton's analogy here. It's a lot more like saying um, that we were defending ourselves from the Navajo when we pushed them onto the reservation and kept taking away more and more of their land and killing all the Buffalo and murdering them or whatever. Like the Navajo sort of had a reason to hate us, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't that we were just defending ourselves from them. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you make a pretty good case. I I, I tend to feel though that it's the same as anything. If it's mostly the government, if, if Israel's government would get out of the way, I don't think these people would be fighting with each other. Um, Yeah. You've had people um, coexist. You've had people move like the, the French in Canada were much better to the natives than we were when we moved into what's now the United States. You know, the French traded with them. Uh, for the most part, they didn't push them off their land like we did. We just straight up <laughs> massacred them and pushed them out. And, yeah. you know, I mean, there are ways you can integrate with people who are already living somewhere and get along. And the way it's been done is just not right. So, Right. Okay. I get you. Um, last thing I, I want to ask, and I'll let you go. Um, I I feel like in 2000. A we libertarian movement, and that's when I got interested. Um, had a real chance with Ron Paul, like he was a leader we could really get behind. He made economics not boring, he got people fired up about the Federal Reserve, which is really hard to do. Yep. Um, and all that momentum was lost, but now because of COVID and the lockdowns and the, the horrendous way the government and mostly state governments like ours here in California mismanaged that and just took away people's freedoms. I really feel like we're, we're primed for a libertarian uh, breakout. I really feel like people are open to the idea of liberty and freedom. Like that's still important to Americans. Um, what's the best path forward to build a bigger base so we can actually make it, and not just be like, talking all the time, like actually make a difference. How, how do we build that base so we have enough voters to actually make a difference? Well, I think you got to talk about the issues that matter so that people will be interested in what you have to say, right? I mean, if you talk about occupational licensing or um, legalizing prostitution or 
getting rid of driver's licenses or I don't know. Like, I mean, there, there's a lot of things you could talk about that are libertarian that really don't have a lot of bearing on the situation right now. Mm-hmm. So to get people's attention, you got to talk about what's destroying their lives. Uh, and then if you can provide a solution, I think we'll be interested. And I want to see a lot of people join the party over the next year. Um, and, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages from people saying I've you convinced them to join. I've had a lot of friends who have been convinced to join. I mean, it is happening. Um, and I want to see us win state elections in 2022. You know, I'd like to see some governorships, some state houses taken. Um, and there's been a lot of mobilization in the states with the Libertarian Party, and it's really exciting. So uh, that's what I'd like to see in 2022. Lots of state positions taken. And then maybe in 2024, we could see some federal positions taken. I am not expecting the presidency. I don't know if we'll ever win the presidency, but I look at the presidency as a platform to advertise libertarianism, because that's unfortunately where most people pay attention. They don't even know who their mayor is or who's running for yep. state legislator or their, uh, you know, their, their congressman or senator. They, they only know who the president is and who's running for president. No, so- I, I agree hundred percent. And that's why, that's why Joe Jorgensen was a little bit disappointing. She didn't do a great job of communicating the message. Um, and, and you're right. We're, we're never going to win the presidency. Not, not before I'm dead. But it would be nice to have somebody running for president like a Ron Paul who who gets the people fired up so we can yeah. win some state houses and whatnot. Yeah, because I, I I mean, I honestly think the federal government is sort of a loss. Justin Amash was like a window into Congress in those last few months there. And it was just depressing to listen to him talk about how Congress is run. So I say starve the beast, you know, <laughs> take the states back so that the government can't keep sucking us dry. Uh, that's what I like to see happen in 2022. See us take some states. Yes. I love your idea of a sanctuary state from taxes. I got to tell you, uh, my family, we're actually, we've already begun the process. Um, have you heard, uh, Mikkel Thorpe? He's got the, um, expat money show. I don't know if you've heard that. He's another libertarian. Uh, he helps, he helps frustrated libertarians leave the country for the purpose of getting out of taxes. And and we're going down that path. We're thinking about it. If there was some politician ballsy enough to take that stand and try to unite some states around the idea of a tax haven, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. A lot of great people move there too. It wouldn't oh, be like, sure. It wouldn't be like this problem, all these Californians leaving and infecting other states. You would only see people that you want to live near move right. to that state. So. No, it'll it'd only be the people who produce. Yeah. 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 Sure. All right. Well. Thanks a lot, man. You're, you're a fascinating guy. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy your show's taken off. I want to see more and more libertarian shows taken off. Why don't you just tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, so uh, I'm the only Reed Coverdale and the only naturalist capitalist on the internet. So if you look up either of those on any platform, you'll find me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Mostly use YouTube and Twitter. I'm at Reed Coverdale on Twitter and then uh, on YouTube. I'm the naturalist capitalist. Uh, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter and uh, I'll have lots more interesting stuff coming. I got some interesting guests coming on. I've actually got Spike Cohen coming on. I think it'll be today as far awesome. as when this episode is released, but um, check in for that. All right. All right, guys, you know where to find them. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you.